Was it good? Was it bad? What was it like working with him, working with her? You'll hear all the tales you wish you knew. Every aspect of the theater, too. Feel your love of Broadway anew on Backstage Babble. Hi, this is Charles Kirsch, and welcome to Backstage Babble. Backstage Babble is a podcast interviewing professionals in the theater industry about themselves, their careers, and the people they've worked with along the way. And today, I am thrilled to present my interview with veteran actor Peter Friedman, who is currently starring in the sold-out hit play Job Off-Broadway. His many Broadway credits include Ragtime, The Heidi Chronicles, Twelve Angry Men, The Tenth Man, Piaf, The Visit, Holiday, Love for Love, and Don Juan. He's also appeared off-Broadway in A Soldier's Play and A Nightingale Sang, The Loman Family Picnic, Hamlet, The Beast in the Jungle, Circle Mirror Transformation, and more. He's also starred on screen in Single White Female, Succession, Someone Like You, I'm Not Rappaport, and more. And now, without further ado, here's Peter Friedman. Well, so I'd love to start by asking you, um, how did you first become interested in performing? I think I was doing it as a, as a small child, putting on little shows in the, the living room and all that kind of stuff like kids do, you know. And then how did it kind of transition to that, to wanting it to be your career? It it didn't transition. It just stayed that that interest in playing around and doing plays all through childhood and the schools and just seemed a natural progression. There was there was no real switch from, you know, sports to, <laughs> to art or like that. It just was always that's what I was doing. I did a lot of puppetry when I was a kid and um, it it just seemed like the natural journey. And were your parents and people around you kind of supportive of that? Or? They were. My, my mom was uh, very uh, into investing in any kind of um, artistic endeavor. Um, if I plunked out Twinkle Twinkle Little Stars on somebody's piano, then she would make sure I went to music school and had a piano teacher and a piano. If I made a paper ventriloquist dummy um she got me a ventriloquism teacher you know she was really into that kind of thing growing up in new york did you go to broadway and see a lot of theater or things like that you know i didn't um i i i think one of the first things first broadway things i saw might have been bye bye birdie just somebody took me um I, I when I was twelve, I entered a Macy's Christmas contest uh, contest for drawing Santa Claus and won a ticket to Here's Love, Meredith Wilson. Um, got to see that, but those were probably the earliest. And when I was sixteen, I finally realized what the heck Broadway really was and where it existed in the world, and uh, sort of came in every weekend during my high school years, all the time, every Saturday, in town. Just walking the streets, buying the tickets for the future, that kind of thing. And were there performers who especially kind of inspired you? 
uh-huh <laughs> when i saw when i saw tommy Steele and a half sixpence i flipped i thought that was pretty great tim curry and rocky horror later on and so how did you decide kind of where to study in terms of college and all that and Ooh. i guess uh gee i, I just can't remember but I, i'm assuming that that Hofstra was affordable um, and it had a, an acting department. But my parents uh, wanted me, if I went to college, they wanted to make sure that I was able to come out and do something, meaning I suppose teach. So um, I, I studied psychology. I got a BA in psychology. Uh, though for the, the last two years that I was at Hofstra, I got a full drama scholarship. I don't know what that means, but, you know, with psychology. But I, I don't have any um, degree in drama. I only have a psychology degree. And then, so getting out of college with a psychology degree, did you still try to kind of pursue acting first or go right to? Yeah. No, the psychology was was just a, a ruse, I think. Uh -huh. I don't <laughs> no, it was straight. It was straight for acting. Yes. And so, how did your Broadway debut happen with the great God Brown? And yeah, really, that's just. I was just playing, you know, stuff. I was playing small, small, small stuff in in the Phoenix Company. Um, uh, and glad and glad to be there. You know, glad to be out of college for like a year and and be in a in in a broadway effort that you know there were two or three plays we did and then we we traveled parts of the country with them um so it was all great to get in on the ground floor with with these people but i wouldn't say I, you know i did a lot of acting work right and what was it like to be in the room with hal prince who was of course this great director you know, it, it it was good i i i was i was uh concerned based on having having seen him work with other people um in rehearsal what it would be like to work with him uh when i finally got a role like i think in the third season i got a, a role in uh, love for love uh, you um, you have to know what you want you had to know what you wanted to do um or, or there was a chance that you could be pushed in a certain direction by him um, if you didn't have a strong enough idea to begin with. And and so uh, I, I knew that going in, having watched some rehearsals with others and uh, made sure I came prepared. And I had a, a wonderful relationship with him. You know, as long as I knew what I wanted to do, um, he was mostly okay with with what, what happened and it was good, you know. And so I'd love to ask about a little more about Love for Love with Glenn Close. And... Oh, I'm sorry, I don't remember the, the, the woman that the a very famous British actress who was playing the role that Glenn was understudying. And the the day of the opening, they let that woman go and Glenn was in, you know, for the opening night. It was, you know, a big a big deal for us right? Um, and, a, and a massive deal for her, you know, a scary and exciting night and, and sad too, you know, for the person we lost. 
And so out of this kind of company, something you did was a soldier's play off Broadway. And what was that like to be at the company with Douglas Turner Ward? And and, and Sam Jackson and Denzel Washington, Eugene Lee, I mean, they were just, they were just wonderful. And and I I was uh, not, I was not wonderful. I don't think I was good in that at all. Um, uh, but I certainly, enjoyed being part of a, a, a play that was a juggernaut at the time. It, it really, it really hit and it became a thing to see and it won the Pulitzer Prize and, you know, being there the night that it won the Pulitzer Prize and the author, um, Charles coming back and hugging everybody and, you know, a very exciting thing you know, to be part of. And, 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 uh, Peter O'Toole and Lena Horn and, all these celebs would come back after say it was the it was the show to see that year, you know, for for people passing through. And you were talking about not doing much acting work in kind of the early years of the Phoenix Rep. And is there a point that you would identify as kind of a turning point? Would it be Love for Love or a turning point being well, when I started working, doing stuff? You mean? Right, right, and kind of getting more recognition. And... Um. I wouldn't say it was during <laughs> somewhere in the mid aughts. Um, I, I, I think there was there was a transition there that I can remember. Before that, it seemed like fluke to fluke with great periods of unemployment in between. And um, in the in the two thousand four area, right after Twelve Angry Men, uh, and. I, I was floundering. I, I I couldn't I couldn't seem to get a job that I liked. So I I thought, well I I'm a dad. I really should make some money. And I thought I'd try try to get into TV. You know, get something like that. And I just couldn't. <laughs> it just it just wasn't happening. Um, and my wife uh, suggested that I you know I've been offered little off Broadway plays, off off Broadway plays, and stuff like that. She said, you know, just do them. And I thought. I, I need money and yet I'm not even making, you know, anything. So I might as well just do these little things. And somehow I got in with the cool kids, you know, the Annie Baker and Sam Gold and Amy Herzog and, you know, and, and it, 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 it started with one play and then I would have, you know, be asked to do in, in two, two of them in a year. And then there was a certain point where, Two plays happened at the same time, and I went, Some, something's, something's going on. Something's accruing. Um, uh, and, and it's been great since then. <laughs> <laughs> and so after that, you were working with um, Wendy Wasserstein on the Heidi Chronicles. And right. what, that was, I know, a bigger role. And what was it like to work with her on that? And Yeah, she was, she was wonderful. She was wonderful. Um, I had written a fan letter to her after "Isn't It Romantic," and uh, I, I, I think we all we sort of had a, a relationship based on mutual admiration, I suppose. Um, and Heidi was certainly a great high point. Wonderful, a wonderful script, and a wonderful. It was a wonderful period 
for that script. Uh, it, it, it hit once again, just, just like soldiers play. It hit at the right moment, you know, the zeitgeist was right for it. And, um, it was, it was a big season for that, that play. And that was also a play to see, you know, for that year. Absolutely. And I think you did a few plays that transferred from off to on Broadway. That was one of them. And did you find that it changed between those two iterations or was essentially? Um, yes. Yeah, it does. But, but of course, going from a small house to a Broadway house, it's a change in, in what you're doing as an actor, you know, things have to be a little bit bigger. Mm -hmm. um, and it seemed weird at first, but I think with a comedy, it's possible. It, it felt it by the time I left it, uh, it felt it felt right. The size that we were doing it, even though it was much different in size from Playwrights Horizons. And what makes you decide when it's kind of time to leave something like that or ragtime that has a long run? Well, ragtime, the price of admission, that meaning to sign the contract, uh, we had to sign it for a year in Canada and a year in New York. And that was about three times longer than I had ever done anything. So that was, you know, I didn't know, I didn't know when signing it, if, if I, if I mentally could, but, but the thing is was so juicy i i had to i had to find out you know and um you know when you do a long run when you do something for that long it it doesn't it doesn't get easy you don't just fall in to your costume and it it you have to invest harder every day to make sure it's fresher it's fresh you know um and your preparation each day yes takes a little longer you have to go a little deeper to keep it to keep it vivid you know um it, it's hard it's hard doing a, a long run right and do you find that you have a preference between a more kind of intimate off-broadway show and a bigger broadway stage i don't i've always liked the idea you know which i which i uh got the chance to try in ragtime and um fly by night and shags uh to invest what you would in terms of in terms of emotional depth in a straight play to bring it to the musical you know because what what is what is more emotional than than singing with uh, an orchestra underneath you i mean it's 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 a crazy wonderful feeling um and you know whenever whenever i get that chance i like to take it you know, and it's usually on a, in a bigger platform. And had you pursued kind of singing roles before Ragtime or? No, I, that was my first professional. You know, I've done, you know, uh, summer stock, you know, years before, but but nothing professional. And, um, and Garth Drabinsky uh, eventually invested in a series of uh, singing lessons for me to, to make sure I was up to the task of eight a week and stuff. And what was it like to kind of flesh out that great part and who were some of your like inspirations for it? And Inspirations, well, I enjoyed talking. I, I went out to visit um, 
Biel Doctorow in where where he was living in Sag Harbor at the time for you know a little research talk, and he set me straight on some of where what what his uh, resources had been for the character, and um, I, I remember uh, before I met him, um, I I had gone to the Museum of Moving Image, and the leader of it at that time was a man named Richard Kazarski, who I actually went to Hostra at the same time as. I, we weren't friends, but I, I knew he was, I think he was editor of the paper, newspaper there. Um, but he was now a film guy and he was the head of the moving image. And I I contacted him and I said, is there in your collection any any um, anything like what El Doctorow writes uh, about as the the filmmaker's tool, this this square device that he wears around his neck to frame scenes in the book, and um, he he invited me out and he brought from out from the collection, you know, where they're wherever they keep them, these little devices from the early days of film that people have donated, little contraptions, you know that. Uh, that fold and flip and but eventually are are you know, actually are, are rectangles that you view things through, and I sort of chose the look of one because there wasn't one exactly like the one Doctor O had had mentioned, um, but I, I saw something that was made out of nice dark walnut wood with brass edging, you know, brass corners, you know that, and I asked the prop people to. For us to do something like that, and then eventually I went to when I had my my time with El uh, Edgar Doctorow. I said, "So where did you get the idea of this?" Because I went to the museum in Moving Image, I couldn't find anything. He said, "Oh, I made it up." So that's the end of that story. <laughs> <laughs> and what was it like to kind of see that show through cast changes and probably script changes? And when you do something for that long. And we were all in in Toronto rehearsing, I think, for like at least two months before the first first performance. I think um, the Frank Alati led these this cast of what fifty, uh, like a commander. It was it was a beautiful job that he did, and. Um, you you all become very close. There were there were days where we rehearsed scenes, and there were days where we shared uh, exercises. We were you know, told to pick pick some character and or create some character based on what we were playing or for the chorus. One of the people they were playing, um, uh, and then share it with the rest of us. So there were fifty people sharing on one particular afternoon, you know, stories of a character they created or from their family or from that period um, that reflected something about what they were doing in the show. And it was a, a great bonding exercise. And, you know, once you get to do a show, when you get to start performances and you're doing eight a week, you may or may not see each other again, really, in life. You you pass each other in the hall um, and you know each other, but because of this this period of of getting ready, we we all seem to have a relationship together and there's a great love um, 
that was engendered. And, and also when you're doing something that long, um, a lot happens in everybody's lives and you're, you're part of it. There was one fellow, Ralph Deaton, who went through the whole, uh, Toronto experience with us, came back to New York and he, he, what I'm assuming he had it before, but his HIV erupted and he had to be out for months, came back, couldn't do it. You know, it was just too much required of his stamina right. and he eventually died. And when you have somebody who you've been with for, you know, 16 months, and they're no longer there. I mean, it was it was it was terribly sad, terribly sad. I lost a parent during that time. I think Audra lost a parent during that time. People are born. You know, it's it's a big deal, right? Yeah. And in addition to the length of the time you did it, I'd also be curious to know what it's like doing such a just a long show and kind of draining and. Yeah, I, on matinee days, I would. Uh, I would make my little bed and uh, I would say, I, I don't know when I'll see you again. I, it just seemed like forever that before <laughs> getting back to my bed. And what was it like to, to have the recent reunion with the whole cast? And that was, that was really a gift. You know, they really, they really gave us a gift to, to be able to see each other again after all this time it was so lovely. There was Donna Dunmire came in from Australia where she's been teaching and living. I mean, people came in from everywhere. It was so, so lovely. And it was a scary experience for us. I mean, for me, I think, <laughs> not just for me. Um, but I, I, I think we did, we did swell. And it was so wonderful feeling the audience, the audience's appreciation. It was great. And after that, did you try to kind of go for more musical roles or more singing roles or? Well, I, I, I think um, it depends. It depends. It uh, depends on the material. It always depends on the material. But whenever, whenever I was handed, uh, you know, a script or an audition, I would always go. I hope this is something that I would like to do. Yeah, naturally, yeah. Naturally, when people when people ask, "Oh, you're so you were in that you were in Ragtime, so you sing," and I go, "I have sung because when you're on stage with Marin and Audra and Stokes, that's a different that's that's different kind of singing. That's that's <laughs> real singing. I I'm I can I can do the character, you know, I can hold them up, but I'm not like those people, right?" And was there ever a character that you found to be especially difficult from kind of an acting perspective? When the, the first time around at Long Wharf with the Common Pursuit, we had uh, Simon Simon Gray came in like the last week we were there from England, and everything was wrong with what I was doing, and he was staying as he always did at the Algonquin. And so I met him on my day off uh, at the Algonquin bar and we had splits of champagne at like 10 in the morning and he set me straight and it was heaven. Right. Right. 
the same lines, the same character, but totally uh, reimagined in, in my head, thanks to him, you know. And what do you think makes a great director for you to collaborate with? To always have an idea. To always have an idea. If 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 they if you if the director has says and it's not that, it's good if they have an idea of what it might be, as opposed to that's not it. Go find go find what it is. That's that's not too helpful, you know. <laughs> and one of those famous directors you worked with was Ulu Grossbard on the. Oh yeah. And what was that like with him? I, I I I loved him because he he had an easygoing but firm hand, um, and he had he was herding cats with that production because you had a bunch of um, bunch of comedians from a different era, you know, screwing around, screwing around, um, and it was hard for him. You know, because um, there there's a story to be told that's quite serious. But these guys are a bunch of jokers, and a bunch of jokers is what's what's needed to for the camaraderie that happens in that setting, which is inside of a temple. Um, but uh, I, I remember, <laughs> I remember as we got close to the preview period, and we were rehearsing, and and Ulu was quite serious about this. He says, "Now." Anybody who knows anything about when the reviewers are coming, you just keep that to yourself. And and everyone yes, yes. And Jack Weston went, Thursday. And so with Twelve Angry Men, that's another play that's kind of that ensemble cast camaraderie thing. And what was that like to perform? So I was brought in that 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 had a you know like every play like three and a half weeks rehearsal, and I was brought in after the after after the second week. Someone had to leave, um, so I had to smash these lines. And this is these were these were sort of tough because you it's there's there are twelve people who are sharing the script, and you have one line on one page. You don't have another for three pages, and then you have a bunch. You know, I I never knew. I never knew what was going to happen in the next three minutes. Really, maybe not till the end of the run. Did I, did I really have an idea of the? It was just it all happened before me every night in real time. Um, but once again, there was a camaraderie there that was that is that lasts lasts to this day. Every time one of us dies, we all go to the funeral. You know, what I mean, that's what happens. And. You mentioned earlier doing kind of research sometimes, and were, were there shows that required you to do a lot of research, especially? Yeah, I mean, so when you're young and you're playing a lawyer for two seconds, you go you go visit a lawyer, you go make an appointment, and you know, now at this point in my life, I've been to a lot of lawyers just from in my own life, having to, so I don't have to research that anymore. Um, but what it was it was important early on because um you you'll to get to get the real taste because you'll you'll get the the papers on the floor and on every conceivable surface you'll get the stacks and stacks of papers you get maybe a wilted plant but you might forget the beanie baby that his kid left the last time his wife and the baby visited you know and those kinds of things are 
or why you do research. Right. Those are those important, you know, you use things you don't think of, right? And on kind of a similar note to when you're approaching a play that is a revival like 12 Angry Men, do you like to do any research on the original production or view a movie? Uh, that, that, that's, that wouldn't, I don't think that helps the director either. You know, I think if you're, it's good to, to take it, to take it as clean as a, a brand new play, you know. And with an original work, do you like to kind of suggest changes in the rehearsal room? Never, uh, you know, <laughs> very rarely. No, no, I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't say never. I might ask for uh, something to be cut more than anything to be added. Like if this line is too long, it's like he can say it in, in two words instead of seven. You know, I might I might do that, but my my job is to do to do what what the author has has done and and uh, see if it works. You know. And another kind of great role you took on, although for a shorter time, was at Encores with On a Clear Day. You can see forever. How did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who dropped it out that I I got the call. But <laughs> I was so scared. I I don't know if you talked to other folks who have done them, but just when you're you're going, okay, so now we've blocked the thing. Let's see what I'm going. You're on. It's on. It's time to go. We're on. We're doing it. It's so scary. Right. I don't know how they do it. And. You mentioned earlier on Annie Baker and Sam Gold, and how did your relationship with them first get started on, I think, Circle Mirror Transformation? Or... Well, actually, it was earlier than that. She, she had written a play that was done by the Atlantic Theater called Body Awareness um, that I did with Joe Beth Williams, and um, it, was, it was fun. And I think that was my entrance into that, that world, you know, to meet, to meet Annie and... I think that probably led to Circle Mirror, maybe. And but she's wonderful. And do you find that there's a difference in kind of creatives of the younger generation or actors of the younger generation? I, I don't, I don't know about a difference, but I'm impressed. You know, I, I'm, I'm impressed. I was impressed back 15 years ago when I first met all those guys, and I'm impressed with the group that I'm working with today, you know, everybody involved from the producers to the creative staff are, are, are 40 years younger than me and they're kicking it. And so um, 12 Angry Men was your last Broadway show up till now, but has, have thanks, you... Bruce, thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering, is, is that kind of intentional or? No, it's not intentional. <laughs> 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 just the way it is that's where the work is you know i that's this is what's interested me and i've gone where that take me took me you know. and kind of on that line too has there been a show you've done that you especially felt should have transferred or yeah yeah i i i thought i thought fly by night was was absolutely uh a shoe in for a future life, but it's I, it's being done a lot around the country. But I thought for sure that it would it would have a life in New York. And one of the projects you did with Sam Gold was Hamlet with Oscar yeah. and Keegan Michael Key. And have you trained in Shakespeare before that, or did you at Hofstra? I, I there was a there's a Shakespeare festival that's done every year, and and uh, I had done 
several of those. So I felt, you know, pretty able, you know, to handle it. Um, but I hadn't done but one in my entire professional career, you know, and that was a zillion years ago. So this this was this was me getting to see what I what I could do in that direction. And I and I had a great time. I was worried, a worried for a lot of it, but it eventually turned out okay for me. And so The Beast in the Jungle, I think, was some soon after that with John Kander and Susan Stroman. And what was it like to be working with them? Yeah, Susan is is just an amazing talent. Um, talk about talk about a director who always has another idea. Uh, I feel like I felt that way with Graziella Danielle in Ragtime. You know, she tries something. She goes, "Let's do this. Uh, let's go this. Uh, how about this?" You know, they 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 know they they have a knowledge of that stage space, that stage floor, that goes beyond up and down right and left and from up up right to down left it it they they see the space in a different way and it's very exciting to me to see how they create you know and in what way was doing the beasts in the jungle different from doing a out and out musical because of its kind of different form with dancing well i was the i was the you know the non-dancing guy in a in a in a in a company of crazy ass dancers I mean, really talented people I don't know what I was doing there but anyway they were great um and it was it was wonderful to be asked to be a part of that to to, to, to watch them to yeah to watch them frankly and so what was the process of the pandemic like for you kind of um I was one of the lucky ones because because of of the the employment in the television show uh it was delayed um but i always knew that that it was coming coming back and i'd be part of it so i i was able to go through the pandemic in a, a healthy state of mind right and what was it like then to kind of return to the stage after it i like it <laughs> And how did this play job first come about? Um, my daughter went to Hebrew school with one of the producers, and and I she suggested to this producer uh, that he might send you know me this script, and it was really good, and I'd never heard of the guy before, Max Friedlich, um, and and I asked because uh, I wasn't quite sure. Uh, about it if we could have a just a reading you know just a reading with for you know the other actor and myself and and the writer and the director you know and um they agreed to it and i i voiced concerns um they took them into advisement and uh they, it, it 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 turned out it turned out to be a really good experience really good experience right and what do you think has made this play kind of catch on in the same way that a soldier's play did and the Heidi Chronicles did? Well, it it has first of all, it has a huge young audience, mm -hmm. uh, which is so gratifying to all of us to see that in the theater. Um, and it speaks to the it speaks to the young people. Um, 
uh, I think even more than to my age people. In fact, it, it seems to me a, a large part of the play is is the 30 something saying to the boomers, this is what you don't get about tech. And one of the lines is it's, it's not just some fringe thing for young people. It's where we live now. And, and I think they really, you know, the young people really relate to that. And what is the experience like of doing a two person play and having to kind of. It's intense. It's intense. You know, we, both of us, both of us come early and sort of get into the idea of doing it. And we all, we both have our ways of getting ready for the show, but nobody's, nobody's walking in at half hour, throwing on the costume and going on stage. <laughs> it, it takes a while to just adjust to the idea. <laughs> and so I, I'd love to kind of close by asking you with such a great career, what advice would you give to someone just starting out? If, if you if you have an ability to write or direct as well as act, you should you should invest time in those things. I, I don't find that I've I've got those other talents. Um, but I wish I did. You know, and and it would just, I, I think it would help you to, to diversify and get out there quicker than I, I did, perhaps. Right. That is good advice. Well, thank you so much for doing this. It's been great to meet you. Great to see you. Thank you. Listeners, thank you for tuning in. And remember to come back next time when I will be joined by Stephen McKinley Henderson, who was a 2023 Tony nominee for Best Actor in a Play for his performance in Between Riverside and Crazy. He's also appeared on Broadway in King Hedley II, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Drowning Crow, Dracula, Fences, A Raisin in the Sun, and A Doll's House Part Two as well as Off-Broadway in Jitney, Seven Guitars, and Zoo Man and the Sign. In addition to the stage, he also has a very prolific screen career, which includes appearances in Dune, Bo is Afraid, Ladybird, and Fences. It's a great interview, and you won't want to miss it, so make sure to tune back in for that, and as always, thanks so much for listening.